0: everybody. Welcome back. I am Matthew McCullough, McCullough and I'm here with Professor Larry Cotterbacker. Today, we are here to discuss uh, his book in Chapter 9, Thoughts on Violent Popular Mob Action Against the Solid Virtues of Prosperity and Stability by Professor Chen. How are you doing, Professor Backer?
1: Very well, very well. It's nice to see you again.
0: It's nice to see you as well. We don't get to see each other as often, you know?
1: Ah, it's the problem with COVID, it's like my hair. Everything, everything changes. I used to have very short hair until COVID.
0: Well, now your short hair is transferred to your beard, I see. I
1: guess
0: (laughs) that's what happens when you write an entertaining book, you're stuck down there, putting your thoughts in pen to paper. So tell us a little bit about this chapter. Uh, What did you hope to reach within this letter or uh, documentation at this time, August 9th of 2019?
1: All right. well, during the course of, of the events, I, I had taken uh, Professor Chen's writing very, very seriously. He is um, one of the great lights of the Hong Kong academic community, um, internationally known, um, very sensitive, um, and always thoughtful and thought-provoking. And as, as you recall in chapter six, uh, was my first engagement with some of his initial thoughts on what really surprising to everyone by that point uh, was the state of the situation in Hong Kong and there uh, the the focus was on attempting to figure out how to engage in a rational discourse, uh, which required bringing both the emotive physicality of the people on the streets Together with the far more cerebral and discursive uh, responses of the the local and central authorities, in a way that that and, and we discussed a little bit how, how that um, presented some challenges, uh, especially for uh, the people who are trying to do this, like Professor Chen, who is stuck in the middle of a uh, of a context in which probably engagement that kind of constructive Uh, as as he might have referred to a Habermasian uh, 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 engagement was not in the cards. With this one, um, Professor Chen, I think responds to what I found to be a very interesting, at this point, we're we're still in the, uh, we're we're heading into the second week of August. Uh, What I thought was a, at the time, a very peculiar but in retrospect, a very powerful discursive trope that is developed by the central authorities and here picked up by Professor Shen. And that is the, the, uh, the trope of stability and prosperity as the fundamental premises on which the two system model must be grounded. Now at the time, of course, and I keep saying this, this is as early in in the um, in, in what winds up being a year-long uh, transformation. At the time, I thought, oh, prosperity and stability, okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, I'm surprised it took them this long to do it. It's tied to uh, Marxist-Leninist notions of privileging economic, social, and cultural rights over civil and political rights. And here we've got the, the consolation of Hong Kong protesters are uh, relying increasingly on the protection of, of international uh, civil and political rights. So of course, discursively, it makes sense to move where um, the socialist camp had been moving since the 1970s. Uh, this isn't, of course, the Russian version. It is a much, much more sophisticated Chinese version of it and the expression and the, the, the condensation of that expression into these two principles, I thought, was. Well, intriguing, right? Prosperity and stability. You need a quiet space within which one can create economic and therefore cultural and social rights, which then are the foundation for the political expression, the purpose of which, because this is a circle, the purpose of which is to further the stability necessary for greater prosperity. Uh, there's, uh, for, for students of Chinese Marxist-Leninist, uh, theory, of course, this makes perfect sense in the context of the, uh, the historical development, uh, undertaken by the, uh, the vanguard, uh, leading the, uh, the nation towards the, uh, perfection of its economic, social, and cultural systems and ultimately to the establishment of a communist society in China right so that's that's what we saw that that's what i saw and, and and but it was most interesting here because it wasn't the central authorities who are speaking about this here in this context it's being picked up uh, by professor chen now of course he's not inventing this he's picking this up from a uh, the the dialogue and and i use the the, the dialogue term very broadly because it's this kind of dialogue uh Physical bodies of protesters dialoguing this way, uh, local and, and uh, state officials dialoguing this way. So and and there is the Hong Kong academic community in the middle, kind of saying, "No, oh, maybe we can, you know, do something like this." And that's that's really what is going on here. And there was a a, a substantial appeal, certainly within the second week of August. Wow. Okay it's now been two months, it's the 9th of August, it starts on the 9th of June. Wow, maybe this is something that that will work. Um, And then you read through it and and something actually quite different emerges.
0: So do they see two different points in which there is stability or, or directions that lead to a better place of stability and prosperity between the two camps?
1: Well, if, oh, okay. if you think about it here, what the what the central authorities by pushing, um, by putting out there as as the bedrock concept, stability and, and prosperity, uh, there are a number of. It, it's, it's a really nicely uh, dense um, way of describing their position. Stability, on the one hand, is an indictment of the method by which the Hong Kong protesters are exercising their political and civil rights on the streets, disruptive, um, causing uh, a police response, which leads to violence, right? Again, this is from the government's perspective. From the protesters' perspective, it's gonna look completely different. There you're looking at the impossibility of stability in the face of a government that has effectively ignored or breached its own ideological responsibilities to its people and then is death to them so that the only expressive means of communication is to get on the street right and here's where you've got this and then the 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 discussion goes like this. So the um the, the central authorities are talking about stability in one context which looks at the people on the street and the consequential disruption and violence as the thing that will be destructive of society. And then the protesters are looking at it from the other way saying that in fact, it is the intransigence and unwillingness of those state authorities to do what they're supposed to do, a kind of passive violence that then causes this to happen. And so the instability Is coming not from the actions on the street, which is seeking to create a or preserve the their ideal of stability, but it's really coming from the intransigence of the central authority. So that's where you get this. All right. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, right, and again, this is from the central authority, stability also suggests the necessary calm that is absolutely central to. Fixing or enhancing the lives, including the political and civil rights lives of people, by creating an atmosphere in which uh, individuals can maximize their engagement in productive society, and that again also goes back to the um, to, to uh, Marxist Leninist Chinese Marxist Leninist notions here of the development of productive forces as a central element in the um in the the purpose right and the responsibility of of a state and so you're looking at this both as an indictment of the protesters and as the necessary basis on which social organization is founded so that the state can continue to exist legitimately and authoritative right and then you connect that Mm-hmm. The notions of prosperity, which is consequential, which is in fact, in the absence of stability, where you have chaos or disorder, right? Where you have those kinds of things, then prosperity becomes more elusive. And in the absence of prosperity, a, uh, a person who is starving to death is hardly in a position to exercise political and civil rights. This is an old notion uh, and you can trace this back to uh, debates that, that were going on in the night, late 1960s, early 1970s, um, between the Soviet camp and the Western camp with respect to the, the two international covenants. Um, but it, it comes out here again, but it also anchors and underlines the central government's um, approach or their their discursive of foundation, which is that, indeed, the principal value of two systems is to create a context-specific space where that kind of prosperity can be enhanced and further developed. And so you've got this, this very simple and straightforward thing, stability which is a necessary requisite for prosperity, which is what, and this is again, the line that Professor Chen picks up, which is what both the protest, the the constellation of protesters and the central government want. So that's the point of commonality, right? Which then takes us back to the notion, aha, maybe in the notions of stability and prosperity, we found a common space where people can Rationally communicate, right? Which is the object of this thing, and that will ratchet down the violence and ratchet down the violence of the response. The central authority's response, and maybe something can can come of that, right? And and that's kind of the framework uh, in which um, in which one one sees this developing. And and um, at at that point, of course, Professor Chen then applies uh, a series of, of logical arguments. If in fact Right, um, that that may be the, the common basis that um, everyone wants in one form or another, stability and prosperity. Then does it make any sense? And it is clear that the central authorities are not going to want any more than that. Does it make any kind of rational sense? Again, bringing back in this notion of rationality. Um, does it make any kind of rational sense to continue on the path that they are continuing when the possibility of actually um achieving something beyond that is is um, is going to be costly to say the least mm-hmm. uh, and of course at, at this point we've, we've got this is this is where the the, the great challenge comes in uh in, in a couple of respects the first is um one makes the assumption that um stability and prosperity are terms the meanings of which are shared in equal measure by the protesting groups and by the central and local authorities. And it wasn't clear to me even uh, back in August that we have a coherent singular space for meaning of either stability or of prosperity. And of course, um, if, if in fact your key terms or terms that are themselves contested, then it becomes very difficult to find the the common space. And and I think even by this point, uh, stability for the protesting groups was already beginning to look somewhat different than stability uh, from the perspective of the central and and local authorities. Uh, Stability for the, the protesting groups was in part a function of respect for the civil and political traditions that they found in Hong Kong. Uh, civil and political traditions that the central authorities did not value very much. And that goes back to some of the discussions that that uh I I referred back to in chapter two. Right. Um, and then for the, the central authorities, stability requires a adherence to law and lawfulness to the rhythms and rules uh through which the um the the state can maintain order right and so two very different modes of stability prosperity is also potentially viewed in different ways how do you how do you measure how do you recognize prosperity Mm -hmm. uh and this is of course an argument that we have in very different ways uh, in the liberal democratic camp and that is, how do you judge effectively uh, or how do you measure, how do you recognize the components of popular wealth? And here again, uh, it was clear by this point that there was a value added to abstract concepts within at least certain factions of the protesting consolation, uh, which would have been uh unaccepted or not incomprehensible because they, and they comprehended it quite well but rejected by the uh the central authority so you've got that problem and then the second problem of course that, that you have is that in fact if you take this formulation as it's given it suggests that stability and prosperity even assuming that you can find a common meaning for both are valued to the same extent by both the people on the street and by the local and central authorities. And I think that was a, a, a part of the problem. Logically, the, the argument here is elegant and it's actually, it's, it's quite beautiful and compelling. The problem is the challenges that are posed by both the issue of meaning, Mm -hmm. the perspective-based issue of meaning, and then ultimately by the valuation itself. And it becomes, I think, very clear by this point that we've got a a dissonance in valuation uh, for the state, Uh, for the central authorities, stability and prosperity marked by order and economic augmentation of welfare uh, takes pride of place. It's not clear that those are the two things that the that chunks large and perhaps influential chunks of the protesting movement valued in the same way or to the same extent and so that's what makes this it's a little jewel of a of a chapter but that's what makes the chapter kind of interesting and again uh a a pivot chapter like chapter eight um we're assessing again and we're, we're we're seeing how we're at this point where you begin to see um that where we are by August 9th is in a very different place conceptually, in terms of stakes, in terms of uh, conceptions and self-conceptions of of what is actually going on than we were on the 9th of June.
0: Well, one final question that I would have is, how was this writing received um, by observers and onlookers and other academics who, Or in the West, or in other parts of the world, not in Hong Kong.
1: Well, it's 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 difficult to say. I I um I did not take a a straw poll. Um, my from my absolutely skewed uh, and and not neutral. analysis that is in talking to the people i know uh if we happen to be talking about this at the time and again lots of other things are going on in august of 2019 so this is in our consciousness but there are all kinds of other things going on as well that are that are uh, taking everyone's attention especially in the west not in hong kong but especially in the west yeah and so um for a lot of people i think still at this time there's um ideological gut feelings will move them in particular directions i'm being deliberately vague but but again um the way you approach this and the way you thought about this by august uh would depend on your ideological starting point which would be very different uh for example for for elite western constitutional intellectuals than it might have been for um um, intellectuals who may be in developing countries, but not in um, in uh, in Asia, uh, different for Asians, and, and certainly different depending on where and who you were in in China. Still, a sense that the thing was was containable, quote unquote, that there was that resolution was possible, and and that in a sense I think underlies um, the the motivation for writing this, uh, but also a sense uh here that mm, uh that that window uh may not uh may not exist for long and even by this point there's going to be a price right and so if you are ideologically sympathetic and, and again there'll be several camps here's three that I identify with if you're ideologically sympathetic to notions of sovereignty you come from developing states you privilege the sensitivity to the effects, the lingering structural effects of, uh, of decolonization and then post colonialism, um, mm-hmm. then the notions of Chinese sovereignty, the sovereignty discussions uh, may flavor the way in which you hear these things and value them and, and how you may want to come out. Okay. if you are a, a liberal democratic uh human rights oriented um western uh intellectual uh that privileges human rights and it's political and associative expressions, especially as against an autonomous set of governmental actors, then you might tend to be more sympathetic to positions that you see developing on the ground. Again, there's no discourse yet on the ground that is the equal to the discourse that's already beginning to be developed by the the central authorities, but you might be be, um, more uh, uh, interested in that. Um, and if you are a um, uh, an intellectual um, or someone else who views the integrity of global economics within systems of order, then you might take, tend to take a, a different view as well. Understand that at this point, even though the Americans took um, a, a very different view by the end of President Trump's uh, term in office, and then at the beginning of President uh, Biden's. Uh, are we there yet? Yes, I think I'm, I'm, the, the the time.
0: The,
1: are you talking uh, about in the book? Yeah. You know, well, no, no. During the the book, we're we're dealing with the the Trump administration, and then it's picked up later by the by the Biden administration. Yeah. Um, the the at least initially, the it was my understanding that the U.S. administration and uh its its um influencers were to some extent divided um mr trump had been known to have made um expressions of solidarity with the sovereignty principle uh along the lines of it's their territory as much as we may not like it they can do what they like uh the same with us and um I was gonna say our commonwealths or our states, but at the same time, there was a, a, already a beginning of push among um, influencers and, and political elites uh, that begin to worry about this from the perspective of, of um, human rights. And another group that was worried about this from the perspective of the economic, challenges that we're already facing in the uh the relations between uh china and the united states in particular but the the west in in general so yeah. crazy time the
0: crazy time it was but um i'm sure that we will see what the next moves will be and whether or not um these statements or the statements that you made about the statements by professor chen are going to be held correct. In the next upcoming chapters, we have finally made it out of the single-digit chapters. You feeling better about it?
1: I am. I am. We got a little ways to go, but it was a it was a long year, uh, and you know we we were privileged to be on the sidelines. Much worse to have been um, on the field uh, in terms of the intensity uh, yeah. to have been a, an actual participant. So,
0: well, I appreciate you for spending your time with me again today, and I appreciate everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this and I hope that you will enjoy reading the book eventually.
1: That's right. And as and when you have questions or you want to engage, uh, we are delighted to um, to create a space where we can talk. All right. All right. Thank you again. All right, you're welcome.